Hello, and welcome to the Asian Voices Radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations, even around those topics that you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, and joining me today is an award-winning Korean-American filmmaker based in Los Angeles. With over 25 years of experience, he's considered to be a pioneer in making films about Asian Americans. His debut feature film as a writer and director was Yellow in 1997, featuring the first performances of Asian American actors John Cho and Jason Tobin. It is my pleasure to welcome Chris Chanley. Chris, how are you doing today? Thank you for being here on Asian Voices Radio. Good. Hi, Rasha. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. appreciate it. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So much to talk about with you, especially since you've seen the transition and so many changes in this industry. But I'd like to talk to you about growing up first. Now, I understand you were born in California. Is that correct? Yeah, my parents emigrated from Korea um, in the mid-60s. I was born uh, in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And then I I basically grew up around California, mostly in the Bay Area, um, in the city, and on the outskirts of that. Um, and, um, you know, my parents were immigrants and obviously first generation. They um, they had this sort of prototypical like Korean American convenience store in San Francisco, which at the time was very, very different than it is now. Um, um, and uh, so I really I essentially grew up my entire childhood was spent in the summers and on weekends and holidays working at that store and kind of getting that slice of life from that vantage point, you know? And then I had a weird upbringing where we eventually were able to move to the suburbs because my parents were doing pretty well with their shop. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's kind of like you're, you're sort of code switching in both environments, you know? And definitely when I was in the suburbs, I felt like the working class immigrant kid didn't really relate directly with a lot of my colleagues and stuff like that. And then back at the store was a different world, too. So I, I grew up basically always as an outsider, always as an observer, kind of on the outside looking in. <laughs> How interesting. Well, I think a lot of us that come from immigrant families can relate to that. I'm sure that impacted how you've been creating your stories and the story time that you've done over the years. Now, there weren't a lot of films that highlighted Asian Americans in the 90s. I mean, even much less that were creating content during the inter- in the entertainment industry back then. So what inspired you to get into filmmaking or why did you want to go this route? And did you have a mentor back then to help you? I never had, uh, you know, the privilege of having an, an actual mentor, but I definitely had a lot of influences and a lot of people that had helped me along the way. A lot of uh, creative influences, you know, were other filmmakers like David Lynch and Hitchcock, Spike, Spike Lee, uh, Wayne Wang, and uh, some other incredible, you know, directors of that era that are still working today. Um, but, you know, yeah, and as you mentioned, like there were some amazing things that were being accomplished in Asian American cinema, um, but it was also if you think it's a struggle now, back then it was really the dark ages. It was really, really hard. And there were many great mountains to, to climb as far as overcoming hurdles and perception and all that kind of stuff. When I, when I was telling people I was making my first feature film yellow, you know, we were trying to get things off the ground running in the mid nineties. 
I was getting all kinds of skepticism. You know, re- I didn't don't make a movie about eight Asian American kids in Los Angeles on graduation night, like a John Hughes film, right? Or like a uh, like American Graffiti with Ron Howard directed, et cetera, or George Lucas. I'm sorry, and <laughs> um, you know, but we I wanted to make an American film that featured Asian American teens front and center. And I got so much pushback for that. No one's going to come see your movie, cast non-Asians in some of the lead roles, et cetera, et cetera. But we did it anyways. And I didn't do it by myself. I mean, there there were people on our team that were, were also very passionate and wanted to change things and wanted to subvert the status quo, including you know the cast, uh, Jason Tobin, John Cho, Burt Bulos, um, everybody involved w- was like, wow, this is what we want. This is what we want to do. We want to tell stories about us that are made by us and for us. And we sort of seized it as an opportunity, not as a hindrance, you know? I love that. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about Yellow before I get into the nitty gritty of that. I want to know what what helped you push through? Because it could have been easy for you to get discouraged and think, Oh gosh, all these people are, you know, pushing back. But what was that that inspiration that kept you going to say, "No, I'm going to make this film." Yeah, you know, there's there's many passages of uncertainty and doubt and stuff like that. But one thing that I've done is I've really invested a lot into learning my craft as a filmmaker and as a storyteller, you know, and and I, from a very early age I embraced what's different about myself. Like I've been making works about identity, about my background from the very beginning in a town living in LA and in, you know, on the perimeter of Hollywood of always feeling that constant pressure of doing what everybody else is doing, following the trends or fitting into the bigger identity voices, et cetera. I I've always been like, you know what, I'm going to just do my own thing. Cause I'm always going to be that grocer's son. You know, I'm always going to be the outsider. I'm not going to be the studio boss's kid at like a big film school. Like I'm going to just be the guy who came in off the streets and somehow ended up here, you know, with a different background. So I fully embrace, I've always embraced where I come from for better or for worse, you know? And, um, and because of that, um, I've never had to really rely on others to tell me what I'm doing is, is valid or not. And, I've always been very dependent on only myself and only on the people that choose to be on the path together that I, that where we share mutual trust and during the collaboration and all that kind of stuff, you know? Chris, I'm so touched by what you shared with me right now, because I feel those words really touched my heart because I feel like for anybody who's listening to us right now, what words of wisdom of, of, of advice or even from for as from a perspective of mentorship. Like I wish somebody had told me that too, as I was going through my journey, it is so important to really know who you are and own it. And I'm so inspired by you just sharing that. So thank you for sharing that with me. No, thanks Raksha. <laughs> I agree. I think that's the most important thing is if you think that you're a freak, if you think you don't fit in, that's like the best thing that you're bringing to the table. You know, yeah. so I, but I totally as Asian Americans too, right? Like I think because we, we we're in this industry of Hollywood, and I've got to jump to yellow. But I just have to say this: that it, we're, we're trying to fit in. You know, you want to make a career for yourself. You yeah. want to make a pathway, and it's scary because you do want to be different. And then sometimes you get sucked into the oh, do I have to fit the norm? Do I have to create? So I love that you shared that. That no, you don't mm-hmm. have to. Like you created your own path, and I've been doing that too. And it's great mm-hmm. to see that. So thank right. you. 
Thank you. Thank you. We're in, all right, let's talk about Yellow. So you di- you wrote, you directed feature film Yellow in 1997. Now, this film won several awards, including the Golden Reel Award for Best Independent Feature Film. Could you talk to us a little bit about the film and how long it took you to write the screenplay? Because sometimes it could take years to create a, scre- uh, create a screenplay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, writing the very first, draft of a script is usually pretty quick, but then really your work has just begun, right? So I think to get to a shooting script, I mean, to do the first draft was probably like six months, but I think to get to a shooting script was probably like four or five years while we were trying to raise money for the movie. And um, so that took me from mid-90s-ish, early to mid-90s through shooting in... um, 96 and then starting the festival run 97 yeah um and um and you know even while we were filming i was doing things a little bit off the cuff with some of the cast because that's when you really get to know their antics and their personas and their chemistry and we were trying to capitalize on that as much as possible too because even though there are a lot of serious drama elements we're also making a movie about kids having fun on a friday night right so that was part of the attempt to capture that yeah I love that. And then and then your recent film, Silent River, which I believe has won more than 10 awards, if I'm correct. Congratulations on that. And I know that it's opening October 13th. It's coming up at the Lemley Glendale Theaters in Greater Los Angeles for a week. And then it's going to be available on video on demand on October 25th. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it. Can you tell us a little bit more about the film? Yeah, so the th- my third feature is called Silent River. We've been on the festival circuit for about a year. Um, it's rather surreal now that in just a couple of days we're going to have the theatrical premiere, and um, and as mentioned, we're going to have our VOD video on demand release coming up on iTunes, which you can pre-order right now. By the way, at iTunes, Silent River. Um, or which really helps us if you could pre-order the, the movie before October 25th, it helps us get on the front page of Apple and all that stuff. Otherwise it will be w- available widely on video on demand, October 25th on iTunes, as well as several other platforms. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this festival circuit for a while, but to get to this stage, you know, after like a four year plus journey, it's really remarkable, right? And I'm really ha- proud of what the team has done. And we're also really excited because we're, we're starting our limited theatrical at the Lemley Glendale in the greater Los Angeles area near, uh, you know, in the city of Glendale. And um, our opening night, the Q&A is a, a special guest, Kevin Martisek, who is a PR person recently with the Valley Film Festival, who's a huge champion in the film. Tamlin Tamita is our Q&A moderator on Friday, October 14th at the same theater. And then um, on Saturday at the one at the evening screening is Craig Borton, the Academy Award-nominated screenwriter for Dallas Buyers Club, a tremendously talented individual as well. And we're so we're so thankful of the 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 support of all three of these moderators to help bring light and attention to the film. Um, but if you want to meet or see any of them in in just the discussion, please come to one of those three screenings. Yeah. How exciting! Um, can you tell us more about what the film is about? The storyline. 
Yeah, uh, Silent River is about a young man who stops at a remote desert hotel on the way to reconcile with the love of his life, um, who isn't quite ready to see him just yet. And while he's at this hotel, he encounters this mysterious woman who's also another guest at the hotel. And he begins to get very wrapped up in her shenanigans. Uh, he's, He's initially drawn to her because she is... Uh, a spitting image of his his ex-wife and so it becomes this this sort of story of intrigue and mystery you know that's interesting (laughs) that seems fun Mm -hmm. um it's now been three decades since you started your journey as a filmmaker can you share what it was like back then when you first started to what you're seeing now and especially when it comes to maybe the barriers and challenges as an asian american filmmaker Back then, it was like cast cast white people, or no one's going to come see your film if you know Asian Americans. Like literally, I was told that. And you know, we had we had we ended up having a five week run across nine screens in Southern California. So there was a lot of desire, you know, for people to see the film. Um, I would tell people. I remember walking around Park City. Uh, telling people, oh, please come see my film. And we're all handing out these flyers and stuff. And I tell them it's an Asian American coming of age story. And they would ask me if it was in English, you know? So (laughs) we've come a long ways from that. And, um, and there's been a lot of great breakthroughs in the last even three years, but like five years, like a lot of amazing filmmakers and films and, and shows and all this stuff having a huge impact and really bringing people of color and Asian Americans forward, you know, in, in, into the fabric of American culture and people like finally recognizing us as participating. There's a long way to go. There's still a huge way to go. There's a lot of stories to be told. But it's an exciting time, and it's a better time than it's ever been in the last 30 years. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Looking at this current time, Chris, what would you say is a continuing challenge or a new challenge that we are all trying to kind of overcome? Uh, There are so many things. You know, it's a business, so that's always going to have an impact. And, um, you know, with Silent River in particular – our, the makeup of our cast and crew and all the principals and leads, it's largely people of color, men and women, and heavily weighted towards Asian Americans, you know, as far as the, the, the leadership roles and stuff. And, and yet we're sort of a peculiar film because, you know, we identify ourselves as, as creatives that are Asian American, yet we're not making something that is like, it's not, um, I'm not making an identity film, you know, and it's not about certain touchstones about our, our experience that I've definitely explored before that still has many valid stories to be told and is still very rich terrain, but silent river isn't really one of those movies. So it starts. So again, I'm kind of venturing into the unfamiliar in terms of how do we fit into the marketplace and, and, and in terms of that challenge of building an audience, right, for people of color venturing into these kinds of works, like into into doing things that might appeal to an audience of Stanley Kubrick or David Lynch or even Asian uh, cinephiles like Wong Kar Wai and you know all these other famous directors and stuff. Um, we're trying we're we're trying to like sort of build an audience in a 
different sector of the Asian American and also just just film loving crowd, you know. So right. And overall audience, it, you don't, I, I feel like that's what sometimes happens, right? Yeah, like people get right. pigeonholed into, oh, well, if it's a Asian American film, then only Asian American people are going to come support it. And that's, I think. Yeah. And, that, and that's a weird that. thing, right? Because yeah. when we go to the theater, when I want to go see a popcorn film and like, I want to go see Top Gun or something like that, I don't think like, oh, well, there's no Asians in it. So it's not really right. my movie. It's for other people. Like we learn from the beginning to empathize with these characters that are not about our direct experience. But for a lot of people, for like a lot, for sort of the old school mainstream habits, if they see something that's like all very strongly identified by Asians or people of color, there, there can be that tendency of like, well, it's not really for me, you know? And that that is a huge thing that we need to overcome as yeah. well. And it is getting better. Like you're seeing it a lot more with kids too. They're, they are a lot more interested in, uh, people of all kinds of different backgrounds and stuff like that, which is really exciting. So it's the yeah. stories at the end of the day, right? It's it's exactly. the stories and us relating. You know what's been really exciting, Chris, is um, is just seeing the love that a lot of the Korean dramas and movies are getting. So as a Korean American, what do you think about that space and how Korean dramas and movies have been dominating this entertainment space internationally? I mean, it's super exciting, you know, like go Korea, right? <laughs> it's amazing. And I got to tell you, like, I grew up, you know, as a, when I was a young person in, in the eighties, I was the biggest consumer of like MTV and, and the new kinds of genres that were coming out for, for, uh, mainstream films and stuff like that. Um, but back in the day, like, I felt that that lack of Asian representation in in the popular things that people were going to see, right? So to think that like there would be a group called you know BTS or Blackpink that would become like the like the you know pop culture phenoms of their generations, like I, it was almost unthinkable when I was growing up. And it's amazing how we've really evolved into this global culture of you know consumption and influence yeah i just love it well well you know i this is i'm going to share something personal with you but um i have a korean sister-in-law mm. so so mm. we've got we, we call the kids korindians because they're half, oh, nice. and half indian That's great. but yeah. you know it, it's been exciting for me even some of my um my Indian friends, they they love the Korean dramas and we we talk about them. I personally haven't started watching a series yet, but I know some of my friends have. So yeah, I'm excited to see that space evolving. See, more. that is so cool. I, I noticed that too, where, you know, it's, we're not talking about like just Asian kids or Korean kids. Like you go to these, these, these K-pop conventions and it's actually mostly non-Asians that are there. Yeah. I just think that's phenomenal, you know, like. It's so great to see kids getting excited without race being, you know, a qualifying barrier. Yeah. I'm so with you on that because again, yeah. it's, I think it goes back to us connecting as human beings and it goes back to the stories, right? We all learn from each yeah. other. So it doesn't have to be identified by the race. I always love asking my filmmakers, Chris, um, what do you consider is a great film versus a good film? And why? And can you share some examples of what you would consider have been some great films for you? See, I have, so I have like a very, like I craft over my, over the years of being an older person, I've crafted what, for me, what's the perfect, comfortable answer that I feel is never wrong <laughs> for that question. 
<laughs> even though you might totally disagree, but at least I've sort of, you know, deluded myself. But I think, I think the only thing that any form of art has to do is, um, is arrest the attention of the viewer or listener. Like that's all it is. Like whether it's by telling a beautifully told three act structure story or like some kind of a narrative painting or a, a well-constructed song with lyrics that, you know, that move you, et cetera. It really doesn't matter because we also, we all love certain art forms that are a little bit more abstract, like whether it's classical or jazz or art house films and stuff like that. If they're good enough, if they speak to you, they'll captivate your attention and they will find an audience, you know? So even though film has a tendency to be more commercially driven because they're expensive to make. I think films ultimately have that same that same sort of goal or that justifies their existence as, as long as they can make you watch from beginning to end, you know? And I think we, so for me, when I, when I watch a film, whether it's a popcorn movie at a multiplex or art house, if it makes me care enough that I feel like I'm engaging with it from beginning to end. And to me, that's a worthwhile journey, you know? Mm -hmm. And sure, sometimes I love to see these really commercial uh, spectacle films and they're fun and they're, they're really well, amazingly done in their own way. I also like art house films, um, you know, and, and I, I like difficult films like mentioned David Lynch or Andrzej Zalowski or Christoph Kieslowski, these other uh, international filmmakers, um, because they're doing something that's really specific that only they can do. And yet you could see the discipline behind it. You could see the vision behind it. And for me, that's very inspiring. It's like stumbling onto great works of art, you know? I love that. Was there a film growing up for you that inspired you to get into filmmaking? Yeah. I mean, if there was a simple reference, it would definitely be David Lynch's Blue Velvet, you know, even though like my films, my work isn't really like like I do my own thing but he's he really has shown that he creates his own universe and he's somehow able to bring people into that and have you experience it and understand it so that was for me was was a really amazing thing to to witness when I was very young you know but there have been a lot of filmmakers since then that that you know really inspired me to, uh, through their work for sure and, and what are you working on these days or what's next for you? Or are you going to take a, a break? What's happening? <laughs> I really want to go to, on a short vacation, yeah. but we, um, we have, a, you know, we're in the last stretch of promoting silent river. Um, and we're, and we're hoping that it has a very successful video on demand launch on October 25th. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> You've got that and uh, I do have some other projects I would love to move on to as my next one. So I have another film the script's ready that I'd like to make. Um, and I'd love to do some series work possibly too. So I'm kind of exploring some options right now. Yeah. And you mentioned vacation. Where do you want to go? So I know that there are creative, challenging, and culturally, uh, you know, significant excursions and stuff, but I just want to end up on a beach somewhere. <laughs> like, Just relax, you know, right? Nothing to just, think about. <laughs> exactly. And just watch the sun up and watch it go down. You know, that would be great. I would Nothing love that. I've got just a few minutes here. And what came to my mind as I was listening to you, um, as a filmmaker, I feel there are so many different 
elements that are entailed in that, especially when you first start off, right, as an independent filmmaker, you're kind of handling everything. Chris, what was the one aspect of filmmaking that you enjoyed the most? I mean, I know you're balancing so many different things and balancing so many different Yeah, things. that's a really great question because, you know, the vast majority of filmmakers, we have to find a way to make things sustainable while we're trying to make our next movie. Most of us, you know, don't end up being like Spike Lee, you know, making a, a groundbreaking, successful series of films very early in your career. Um, so a lot of us have to do roll up our sleeves for the long haul. And I really loved editing. And I think like growing up in the 80s when there was actually a lot of, um, uh, what do you call it, innovation in, in editing for television and film, I learned a lot from that period. And it, it built this desire. I wasn't even aware of it, but I just started editing a lot of stuff. And I think that's what helped my early work at, at film school stand out. And I still have done that to this day. I've been editing professionally on other feature films and TV shows and also even corporate work, you know, and, and like everything basically, uh, for the last 20 plus years and my own films. Um, but you know, also I've done cinematography, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like basically there are so many, especially for being a director, like writing, uh, being a cinematographer, editing, doing sound editing as well. Those are all different levels of storytelling. Um, and, you know, even the work like that our composer Brian Ralston does, like he made such a huge contribution to the film. And he is kind of like another writer, co-conspirator on the film. He's definitely another character in the movie, you know. So you can work either directly on or around your craft and still build your, your voice and your vocabulary, uh, and also kind of move things forward while you're trying to do your next project, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My last question is going to be more of a personal question for you. Um, as a child of immigrant, of an immigrant, uh, excuse me, as a child of immigrant parents, what's one memory that you think impacted you growing up, especially in that environment of where you were going and working at the, the store while trying to balance growing up and fitting into the American culture? Yeah, I, I would probably kick myself and have a different response later on that came to mind. But one thing that the, as soon as you asked that, what I remembered was feeling as a kid, I somehow I have this distinct memory of like wearing the apron that you see people wearing at a mom and pop shop um, in the city, and uh, and like brushing, sweeping the floors, and doing all, lots of menial labor. And working for your parents is like the hardest job in the world, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's that. Um, but but it's that distinct feeling of feeling like I'm never getting out of this environment, like I'm stuck here, you know, and that I'm never going to have certain advantages in life uh, because we're working class and who am I? I'm just this kid at a, at, at a convenience store, you know? So, so, so having the aspiration to try to move beyond that was, was something that took me years of, uh, uh, you know, of determination or something. I don't know, you know, like you never really are totally sure that things are going well, actually. But, but I, at least I, I was, you know, I wanted, I wanted to try. And, and when you're in that, when you're in that sort of zone of like, well, you have nothing to lose, I guess maybe that, yeah, maybe that's a good outlook, you know, because I just felt like I was going to be working there for the rest of my life. So, 
Well, first I have to say things turned out pretty well, I think so, <laughs> according to the where I'm looking at this. But no, thank you for sharing that because I do feel these situations, um, our environments, they all impact, right? How we think, how yeah. we grow, how we expand. And so that that was the push for you to create. And I personally, from hearing your story, I just want to share with my listeners out there that it's so important to hear Chris's journey because he was able to create his own pathway. He made the path. He went to tell stories he wanted to share, even if there was no mentor, even if there was no door opening right away. And here we are today. So thank you, Chris. Um, where can our, oh, did you want to add something? I just want to add something because it's a great point that you're touching on is like, yeah, you may not have any special advantages, but the one thing that everyone can do and the one thing that's really good about film school is meeting your co-collaborators, meeting other people that are kind of in the same boat, that share similar goals or missions or have similar backgrounds. And that's your network. Those are your mentors. You guys are each other's mentor, essentially. And that's that's the most important thing you can do. That, great point, Chris. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, before we go here, what are some social media links that people can follow you on or any website you want to share with us? Thank you. Everything can be found at silentrivermovie.com. Um, the, the film is available for pre-order right now on Apple iTunes. It's called Silent River. You can also purchase it on October 25th either on Apple TV or iTunes, or it'll be available on various other platforms like Amazon, um, Comcast, and a, a lot of other, like about 23 platforms. So we're hoping that this is when really people are going to have a chance to see it. But if you want the latest information, we're at, we're at silent, silentrivermovie.com. <laughs> awesome. And that's where they can learn about you as well, Chris? Yeah, everything's there. We have the bios of our key casting crew there, and there's some media, and there's a lot of information about where we've been screening at and where you can find the movie. Thank you. Chris, it has been such an honor and pleasure talking to you. Uh, as I would mentioned at the beginning of this, you truly are a pioneer when it comes to the Asian American market and really creating that pathway, not only just for talent, but even in filmmaking. So thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with us on Asian Voices Radio. We really appreciate having you. Thank you, Rasha and Asian Voices Radio. We really appreciate your support and we can't do it without you and without the community. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, thank you so much. Uh, that's all the time we have today. But if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, of course, we would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media and media arts. Now, if you'd like to support our program or make a donation, please do visit us at AsianVoicesRadio.com. Thank you all for listening. I'm Rasha Goel, and join us again next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio show. Until then, take care and make your dreams come true.